All right, like we like to say here at Calvary, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we continue to make our way through the book of James here on Sunday morning. We find ourselves in verses 7 through 12 today. And so let's read them and then we'll take a look at them. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, Test, lest excuse me, you be uh, condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. It's always difficult to start a passage that begins with these words, therefore be patient. I don't know about you, but I wish I could say that at 54 year old, I have mastered patience. Well, that's simply not the case. But the type of patience that James speaks of here is very unique and very specific. It's not simply just the waiting for something, but it actually consists of the manner in which you wait for something. When we talk about patience, we often reduce it to simply a matter of being still for a length of period of time. But patience in this case that James is referring to is a patience, a waiting that is accompanied by perseverance and endurance. Waiting specifically in that perseverance and endurance for the coming of of our Lord. The return of Jesus Christ, the physical return of Jesus Christ, is the blessed hope of the New Testament. We believe here at Calvary wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ is physically going to return to this earth. That was a great place for an amen. Obviously, you'd switch to decaf this morning, okay? That he isn't just going to return spiritually, that he is going to return physically and establish his kingdom here on this earth. The New Testament writers, in each and every one of their letters, included that blessed hope. They wrote about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They lived with that great anticipation that it could happen at any time within their life. Therefore, they wanted to be found busy and walking by faith. They wanted to be impacting the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted to be found faithful when the Lord returned. 
Notice that James even tells us here that the return of the Lord is at hand, meaning it's coming soon, it's drawing near. That's what he is saying here. But to help us to understand this patience that includes perseverance and endurance, he gives us three examples that we can learn from. A farmer, the prophets of the Old Testament, and Job himself. I don't know about you, but when it comes to patience and perseverance, once you drop the name of Job, game over. I'm out, right? Uh, There's nothing like it. There's nothing like him. Can't even come close. I mean, getting the wrong salsa at Chipotle is not going to compare to what Job went through. You know? This is real. So James encourages his recipients to wait on the Lord. Unlike last week where he was talking to the non-believing wealthy, today he returns his attention to those who are Christians and to those who are reading this letter. So as we begin, this patience that includes the perseverance and enduring is first demonstrated for us by a farmer. Now, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, I have no idea about farming, okay? I know that we have farm stands where everything just seems to be there every week, right? But I was once told that farming is one of the hardest jobs a person can undertake. And unfortunately today, farmers have a very difficult time of it. Here in our text... Farming was completely dependent on nature. It speaks of, very clearly here in verse 7, of the farmer's necessity to wait patiently until it receives the early and latter rain. Farming in that area took place in our time of the fall, and often it would be done in the month of October. But during the summer, what would happen to the ground at that time? It would harden due to the continuing beating of the sun upon it. So the early rain allowed the the farmer to till up the soil, to prepare it for the planting of the seed. And the farmer had to wait for that early rain before he could uh, begin to sow his seed. Otherwise, it would be labor-intensive and impossible in most cases for the ox to pull the plow that was necessary to break up the hardened ground. But once the seed was planted, again, its irrigation was completely dependent on the Lord. And they knew that the seed would come to full fruition after the latter rain, and it would be ready for harvest. And so the farmer had to wait in endurance and in perseverance for the latter and the early rain. There's nothing more he could do. Now, once that rain came, it was up to him then to get to work. He had to put the plow to the ground. He had to harvest the field after the latter rain. And so there was a necessity of waiting patiently, but also enduring whatever difficulties that came about, when we talk about endurance, we're talking about applying stress to something and not breaking under the weight of that stress. The word perseverance, when we discuss it, it's a word of momentum. It keeps us moving forward. 
We don't stop in our tracks. Yes, we may be enduring the stress of the moment and we could stop and therefore miss the opportunity that is ahead of us. Not only must we endure, but we must persevere, which keeps us moving forward in all things. That's what James is getting to when he talks about this patience. It's enduring the stress, but continuing to move forward in the endeavor in which God had before them. What is interesting to me is that the natural difficulties that the farmer of that day encountered, though we have overcome many of them due to irrigation and so forth, fertilization, etc., today the pressure upon our farmers is not coming from natural sources, it's coming from our governments. Some of you may have seen in the news what's happening with the Dutch farmers. And we see the protests, we see the convoys of tractors. I have learned from this that you don't make a farmer mad. But what many in our country don't seem to realize is why they're angry. What's happening? What caused them to react in such a way? Again, farmers are pretty passive people. They have, they have so much work on their plate that they can't expend energy in other areas much of the time. But yet, they felt it necessary to do so and do so in a big way. Have you seen those pictures? Have you seen those tractors? Pretty incredible. So what happened in their country, the Netherlands... What happened was that the government imposed regulations upon them that is destroying their business, destroying their farms. These policies are all derived from an organization in Davos called the World Economic Forum. And they're implementing, of course, carbon suppression. Livestock are being killed, fields are being tilled over and turned over without being harvested. And as a result, prices are skyrocketing for food. In other nations around the world, especially Sri Lanka, we saw how that ended with them rioting and storming the palace there and overturning the government. I want you to be aware of three letters. File it away in the filing cabinet of your mind. Though they are not as prevalent here in this country as of yet, they are certainly on the way. The first letter is E, the second letter is S, and the third letter is G. It means environmental social governance. It is the regulation of carbon to create a a carbon neutral footprint. And people are being graded, corporations are being graded, farmers are being graded upon what is called an ESG score. Banks are no longer lending money out that would violate the dictates of the ESG score, which means, again, environmental, social governance. Twelve states in the United States have already passed laws that by 2035... They want to outlaw all gas-powered cars. 
Good luck taking away pickup trucks from certain individuals, right? <laughs> Did you ever think it would be those people with the pickup trucks with the big flags hanging back that are probably going to save this nation? <laughs> the farmers in the Netherlands have found, first, found out firsthand how dangerous ESG scoring can be. I want you to file this away and to know that these, this is what's being implemented. This is what's being imposed upon our nation. And we haven't even gotten to the subject of the amount of farmland that's being bought up across America by individuals like Bill Gates and the Chinese government. Bill Gates, I believe now, uh, don't quote me on this, but look it up for yourself, I believe he owns now 16,000 acres of farmland in the state of Illinois alone. You can imagine how that will be parceled out and how he will rent that out and what he will do with that. You can only imagine. But the farmers here, they needed the opportunity to wait and to endure and to persevere, waiting upon the Lord for the early and the latter rain. Today, our farmers are under a difficulty of our own doing. But I think we can all understand that when we talk about this, we understand that farming is difficult in and of itself, let alone to impose any further implications of complexity upon them. As one wrote, he said, one of the usual marks of farmers is the willingness to help one another. No one on the farm has time or energy for disputes with their neighbors. James must have had this in mind when he added, Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Impatience with God often leads to impatience with God's people. And this is sin, and we must avoid it at all costs. If we start using the sickle on each other, we will truly miss the harvest. In our text, when he writes about the coming, he talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Greek word that is used there is a very eloquent word. It's a word that reflects the arrival of royalty, the anticipated arrival of royalty. I think all of us were shocked to discover that Queen Elizabeth died this week. I know I was. She was an incredible individual. There's a lot to, we can learn. I would encourage you to read about her relationship with Dr. Billy Graham. She took his advice often in the governing of her nation while he was alive. Now she will be, of course, succeeded by Prince Charles, who is now, of course, King Charles. And it's the first time that we have seen the succession of royalty in the nation of England, for she reigned for 70 years. For the Christian, the parousa is the Greek word, the arrival of royalty. Of course, we are referring to the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we wait for in great anticipation. For the hope of the Jewish people and for the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the New Testament that the arrival of Jesus Christ was going to set everything straight. 
that he was going to right the wrongs of the world, that he was going to hold the evil accountable and reward the righteous. It was their great anticipation. It was their great hope for his arrival. And they desired that not only would he reign as king within their own hearts, but that he would reign as king over this whole entire world. That should be our hope also. That should be our desire also. That not only he reigns in our hearts, but we look forward to that moment that he reigns physically and eternally here on this earth. But what does that mean for us as Christians? Does it mean that we just sit and do nothing until his coming? That can't be farther from the truth. The Bible clearly tells us that we should be on mission while we are waiting for his arrival. We should be looking to impact our society. We should be looking to hold back the wave of evil that is coming upon our world as a tsunami. That we are to be the salt and light and stand as an interrupter to the evil that desires to overcome our world. That we should be that light in the darkness. That salt that not only preserves, but it also thirsts the individual who sees us. That's what Christ has asked us to do. Now, to do that effectively, we must do what James instructs the brethren to do, and that is to endure. It is to be established in the endurance and in the perseverance that we must weather until we see his arrival. Notice with me, you also, verse 8, be patient, establish your heart, For the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. If they thought it was near then, we're 2,000 years closer, aren't we? But we must establish our hearts. We aren't going to be any good in this battle, in this fight, in this spiritual war, if our legs get swept out from underneath us. If we planted them on the sand rather than standing on the rock. We must be on firm ground. And what he is saying, he's saying, allow the endurance that you're experiencing, the pressure of the stress that's coming upon you, the difficulties of persecution, trial, trouble, and tribulation. Allow those things to make you even stronger. To stand firm in your relationship with God. Now, I want to say something to you, and I pray that you all listen to me right now. And that is this, we cannot do that as Christians if we are not diving deep into God's Word, okay? We are going to get just thrown to the side if we aren't grounded in God's Word. Reading God's Word is not optional. It's a necessity for us as a Christian. It is the Word of God that keeps us firmly planted, Allowing us to see things as they really are. And it gives us a tap into the mind and the heart of God. Especially now and today when things have gone crazy, haven't they? Every day I wake up and I read an article and I have to read it two or three times to even think, is that possible? Man, what is going on? 
But the Word of God always brings me back to center. It keeps my compass pointing north each and every time. And the way we can truly allow the Word of God to establish our hearts is also not only reading it, but praying over it. Understanding what God's plan and purpose is, not only for our life, but for the whole entire world. It is so important. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Hey, let's be honest, okay? The Bible tells us very clearly things are going to get worse before they get better, right? Things are going to get worse before they get better. So we need to be established. We need to be ready to go. We need to weather the storm. And the only way we can do that is to be standing on the rock who is Christ. But he says that the Lord is at hand. As I said, we are 2,000 years closer to that today. The world around us is continuously coming together as a portrait, a painting that God is setting the stage for the arrival of the King. We see the events written about in Ezekiel 38 coming to fruition. Last two components was the relationship between Russia, Turkey, and Iran, which Putin was in Iran just several weeks ago and had a conference with the president of Turkey and, of course, the Shah of Iran. We are getting one step closer. We have a global food crisis. We have a global economic downturn heading our way. Things are getting closer. But in local news, local news, it's like that segue there. I always wanted to say that, but in local news. This week I got this little newspaper in my mailbox. And you know, most of the stuff I get in my own mailbox is junk mail. You know, I literally take it from my mailbox into the recycling bin, okay? But this little paper caught my eye. I never saw it before. It said, North Cook, North Cook News. And I'm like, oh, what is this about? But the headline got me, and I had to read it. It said, it's going to be literally the end of days. Okay, you don't put this in a pastor's mailbox and don't think it's going to get looked at, okay? I was like, what is this all about? Well, this little newspaper is talking about some of the things happening in our state. Some of the concerns that are coming forward. Maybe you've seen this paper. I was talking to Jeff earlier this morning. I had never seen it before, but he said there's one coming out here for the McHenry County area too. But what is indicating the end of days to this little newspaper? Well, it has to do with a law that is being implemented on the 1st of January. The bill was signed into law back in February of 2021, 30 minutes before the lame duck session of our Congress here in Illinois was about to, to recess. The law that was passed is called the Safety Act. Oh, that's good. It must have to do with safety. Safety hyphen T Act. So what is the Safety Act. The Safety Act is the safety, accountability, fairness, and equity today. Uh oh. Anytime 
bills are passed with a certain name, you can almost be confident that what's within them is exactly the opposite. So what is this? It includes several changes to many areas of the criminal justice system here in Illinois, including the pre-arrest diversions, policing, policing, and pre-trial sentencing and corrections. One of the major changes is the ending of cash bail starting in January 1st of 2023 here in Illinois. Boy, that sounds like a good idea. I think it worked wonderful in other cities where it was applied. Not. The measures were pushed through uh, the Illinois General Assembly in January of 2021 and then signed into law by Governor Pritzker. So what exactly does this mean? Well, it means that when an individual is arrested here in Illinois, there are certain, there are certain crimes that will no longer be required to have bail and they can be released on their own recognizance. Okay? Well, you say, well, it doesn't sound too bad. Well, let me give you a little taste of some of those crimes that can be released. I just wanted to do that with the paper here. My dad used to do that every morning. We knew time to get up. So these are some of the crimes that an individual can be released on their own recognizance between their time of arrest and their trial date. Second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, arson, aggravated battery, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing and eluding, drug offenses, and threatening a public official. I'm glad that they're not going to hold us on bail on that last one. No, I'm kidding. Strike that from the records. This is insane. And yet, I was told by our governor that he is the party of the same. He's also the one that told us that when Roe versus Wade was overturned, it threatened the bodily autonomy of women across America. Where was my bodily autonomy when they wanted to shove the vaccine in my arm? I don't mean to get you fired up, but I want to get you fired up. This is, this is craziness. Part of this, as I looked into it deeper, has to do what police will be able to do with individuals found trespassing on your property. For example... If you have a shed and you find that someone has taken residence in your shed, they put a little mailbox outside, you know, the fire, they they put in a chimney, the Comcast cable guy is running cable out to your shed. If someone's trespassing in that capacity, you used to be able to call the police and they would physically remove him. They will no longer be able to do that, but the most that they can do is give that trespasser a citation. We have to stand up, and we have to stand up now. Please vote in November. I am begging you, please vote, because this cannot continue. When lawlessness becomes the law of the land... It's not long before the society dies. 
And here in Illinois, we want to experiment with things that have failed everywhere else. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the people of Illinois. I do. I've grown up here my whole life. But the politics, I have just had enough of. This is insanity. I won't even get into what the school districts are trying to do. But we know that lawlessness will be a characteristic of the last days. People all over the world come to America because they want law and order. A recent poll has now showed that 72% of Hispanics are now going to vote conservatively because they desire the rule of law and that was the reason that they came to this nation. We need to stand up, not only for ourselves, but more importantly our children and our grandchildren actively getting involved at a local level and saying enough is enough. And we can do so as Christians. I'm not advocating anything that would contradict the Word of God. But I am saying this is our fight for our time. We are here for a purpose such as this, as it was said of Esther. We need to stand up for the Lord is truly at hand. Verse 9, I think, is appropriate and timely after what we just discussed. Do not grumble. <laughs> well, that, would have been, that is my first reaction. Against one another. James was very, very uh, direct, and he said, don't take it out on one another concerning the trials, tribulations, stresses, and difficulties that you're experiencing. We need to encourage one another. One of the things we can do to establish our hearts and help us endure and persevere is to stay in fellowship. I am surprised that during the COVID years, how many Christians dipped out of church and haven't come back. We need each other, folks. We need to encourage each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to love one another. We need to lift each other up because one day you may be lifting someone else and the next week you are the one that may need to be lifted up. So let us not grumble, complain, groan concerning one another. Lest you can be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, this rectifying of all things through the return of Jesus Christ. My brethren, after the farmer, he then goes to his second example, which is the prophet. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, etc. As an example of suffering and of patience. Reading the book of Jeremiah is always a great experience for me because I'm reminded of the difficulty. God calls Jeremiah to become a prophet and then basically tells him, listen, I want you to be a prophet. I want you to go to my people, but guess what? Unfortunately, no one's going to repent. All right, now go ahead and go. Oh, okay, okay, Lord. And he got discouraged at times, right? He threw up his hands and said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. Time out. That's it, going to Chili's. That's it, I'm gone. This guy suffered the stocks. He was thrown into prison and he was even thrown into a well for what he did. And yet he continued to endure and persevere and patiently fulfilled what God had called him to do. Again, that is just one example. Think of what Daniel went through. 
Think of what Ezekiel went through. Think of what Isaiah went through. This is what God is calling us to be willing to go through. As we patiently, enduringly persevere and keep moving forward. For Jesus said of the prophets in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the farmer, the prophets, but then he caps it off. If they had any inclination to argue with him up until this point, he pulls out his ace at the end and reminds them of Job. Verse 11. Indeed, we counted them blessed, that is, the prophets who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. That's it. I lost, right? First of all, this tells me that all of the events recorded in the book of Job were true. James is referring to them, the oldest book of the Old Testament. There's a lot you can learn from the book of Job. If you haven't read it, in fear of doing so, thinking that it's going to bring about the events in your own personal life, trust me, I know I've shared that fear with you for many years. There's so much, so much to be found in that book. You go through the distress of Job. You can go through the defending of Job. And then you go through the deliverance of Job, through the various chapters of the book. But during the time of Job, James reminds us of a very, very important aspect of the book. Notice with me here in verse 11. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Now, what he's saying here is that as Job was going through it, he didn't know how it was going to end, right? He didn't say to his friends, hey, you know what, go to, go to my book in the Bible, go to the last chapter, and let's see how this all plays out. He was going through it day by day, moment by moment, each day being a microcosm of everything else that is happening. All he knew is what had happened to him in the past and what was currently happening to him in the present. He had no idea how it would play out in the future, did he? He didn't know what the end was going to be. Would it result in his death or would it result in his healing? He had no idea. But in the course of it all, he governed his heart by knowing that God did have an intention to it from the very beginning. There was a plan from the very beginning, even though Job didn't know what that was. Folks, here's the good news. Regardless of what we experience here on this earth, whatever our trial, trouble, and tribulation may be, the New Testament tells us clearly what God's intention for us is. Let me give you some examples. In Romans 8.28, we know that whatever we experience, verse 28, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Right? Amen. doesn't matter what I experience because that three-letter word that is in that verse is so powerful. 
all things, good and bad. It doesn't matter what I experience, God is using it for good in my life. That good is being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on a few verses later and reminds us again of the intentions of God when he says, Moreover, whom he has predestined, that is you. These he also called, that is you. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he will also what? Glorify. What's interesting to me is that it's all about him, isn't it? He started the process, he'll end the process. What an encouragement and a comfort that should be to each and every one of us. For Paul later explained it this way in Philippians 1.6. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, which is referring to his coming. In Hebrews, we read that we're looking on to Jesus. Hebrews 12.2. The author... And the what? Finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross. That's something to endure, right? I think I got it bad, and then I'm reminded about him enduring the cross. Despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These are incredibly powerful, aren't they? This is God's intent for you. That whatever you experience, God's using it for your good. And the work that he started, guess what he's going to do? He's going to finish it. How certain am I of that? 100%. I am 100% confident that the work he began in you, he will complete, regardless of what happens in this world. That's God's intent. But we would be remiss if we left Job without noticing for ourselves or hearing the words of Job as he went through this time. I'm ashamed to say I don't know if I could say these things, if I went through what Job went through. But notice what he did say in Job chapter 1, 21 through 22. As he was going through this, uh, this difficult time, and that's an understatement, right? I don't know what word would satisfy the various trials that Job went through. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Wow. But it doesn't end there. As the trials continue. Again, as we look at the book of Job, this wasn't just a one-day, one-week, one-month experience. This is over years. Job 2.10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Hey, God can bless us, and if difficulty comes, should I not still bless God with the same lips? Then he went on to Job 13, 15. He is now getting tired, and he's exhausted. He says, though he, that is God, may slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. I know I'm right with him. I have not sinned as you have suggested, And though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. 
Then we go to Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at, the, at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, I know, this I know, that, my flesh I shall, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and yet not another, how my heart yearns within me for that experience. He wanted to see his Lord. Regardless of what happens to me, I still want to see God. I want to see his return, and he will return. He will arrive. In Job 23.10, as things continued to get difficult, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you know how Paul wrote that in the New Testament? He wrote it this way. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. James tells us clearly in his section that the intention of the Lord was compassion from the very beginning. Notice what he says here in verse 11 and as it continues. That the, intent, what, the end intended by the Lord, the, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Too often we determine from our circumstances God's affection towards us. When we are being blessed, it's easy for us to believe that God loves us. When we are going through grave difficulty, then we have an often tendency to believe that He hates us, He's mad at us, He's casted us away in some way, when often it is actually the opposite that is true. Because it is in our adversity, it's in our difficulties, it's in our trials, that God reveals Himself to us in the most magnificent ways. We see Him like we've never seen Him before. We've experienced Him like we've never seen Him before. And often though, in those times of silence, when we are going through great agony and great pain and great suffering and so forth, trial and tribulation, the voice of God often seems to be silent. And then all of a sudden, He breaks through the clouds in a way that we do not anticipate. And as one would say very clearly, He blows us away even if it's just simply getting to know Him in a deeper, more intimate way. But some may question at this point, but if God is so merciful, someone may argue, why didn't He protect Job from all the suffering to begin with? Good question. To be sure, there are mysteries to God's working in our finite minds that we cannot fathom. But this we know, God was glorified and Job was purified through this difficult experience. If there is nothing to endure, you cannot learn endurance. So true. Then we come to verse 12. And you may say to yourself, well, what in the world is this doing here? Was this accidentally inserted? Because it doesn't seem to follow very neatly with the previous verses. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no, no, lest you fall into temptation. 
and therefore, unless you fall into judgment, excuse me. What does he mean here? It is often in times of adversity, and I agree with this individual who brought this forward, that we begin to bargain with God. We begin to make promises to God if He will alleviate our problems, if He'll lessen the stress that we are enduring. But Job, uh, James said, don't make those promises to God. But as you can see, people who've made those promises to God throughout the Old Testament often weren't able to keep them. Instead, patiently endure and persevere as you go through times of trouble. Let me just read this to you in closing, if I may. From, Doc, from Warren Worsby. As you review this section, you can see the practicality of it. James wanted to encourage us to be patient in time of suffering. Like the farmer, we are waiting for, the spiritual har- for a spiritual harvest, for the fruit that will glorify God. Like pro- the prophets, we look for the opportunities for witness, to share the truth of God. And like Job, we wait for the Lord to fulfill His loving purpose, knowing that He will never cause His children to suffer needlessly. And like Job, we shall have a clearer vision of the Lord and come to know Him better for having been in the furnace of affliction. So therefore be patient, for the coming of the Lord is drawing near.